Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I know we had a couple of people registered from Europe. So if you're on really early this morning, thank you for taking the time really early. Um, we also had a couple of people who are joining. You know, I, I'm here from the States and I know we had a couple of registrants from the States. So anyone who's joining us in the evening, uh, thanks for taking the time as well. Uh, my name is Stephen Quimby. I'm in charge of sales and marketing here with Sherpa Funds Technology. And today we have a, you know our first Process Alpha webinar focused on the topic of how good is your portfolio. So this is a topic that uh, our CEO and founder, Richard Waddington, is, is joining me to talk about today. And what Richard and I are going to talk about are ways to think about and visualize your portfolio from a, an asset selection quality, how, how good is your asset selection, and from a portfolio construction perspective. So how we can kind of break that down into two different pieces and sort of query and analyze both pieces to improve our decision-making process. So uh, today's gonna be a fairly short session. Uh, that said, we will be making a replay available. There will be a recording. So if the market gets in the way and you have to jump off, uh, just know that we will have a replay out before too long. Um, but we will be trying to do about 20, 25 minutes followed up by a Q&A at the end. Uh, please note there is a chat over on the side of the application, the side of the webinar. If you have anything that you wanna talk about midstream or any questions about you know, what we're going through as we go through it, feel free to put it in the chat. If it's particularly relevant, we'll jump on it right then. Uh, if not, if it's something that's a little bit out of the stream, know that we'll probably set aside at least five or 10 minutes at the end to go through questions. Um, so today, what we're really gonna be talking about is sort of the limitations that we see in traditional ways that people think about what makes a good portfolio. So if you're just looking at numbers like, you know, your returns, your volatility, your drawdown, your sharp, and comparing that to peer groups or to your benchmark, that might tell you, you know, as far as am I outperforming what, what my bogey is, is that a good thing? But it's probably not helping you break that down to tell you what is driving that performance. What's driving whether your portfolio is good or not? Uh, is your asset selection good? Is your portfolio construction good? Are both of them good? Uh, so what we're going to try to show today is a method that we use here at Sherpa to visualize how you can break down asset selection on the one hand versus portfolio construction on the other hand to understand Number one, how good is your portfolio? Number two, why is it good? What's driving that goodness? Uh, so the data that we're gonna be covering today, this is all live out of sample data from a $1.5 billion emerging markets equity fund. So this is a benchmarked relative performance, You know, stocks against the uh, EEM as a tracking ETF. And all of this data that we're going to cover today, just to be very clear, you're going to see relative performance numbers, relative risk numbers for a fund for their live asset selections during the first quarter, first four months of 2020. So that's the data that we're going to cover today. So, so Richard, can you give us a little bit of you know color about why you think that this is an important topic? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Sorry, let me just move forward a screen. Um, if we think about what we do at Sherpa, and this is not you know to to this is not really about Sherpa, it's about this process of helping, of being better at running money. But the point of what we do is to try and help people be better at running money by taking their decisions in a, in a better way and applying their decisions in a better way. And one way to start this is to look at what are the contributing factors to the eventual experience that you have 
as a an investor in the fund that the, the um, managers are running. So we we want to think about that experience, and, we, and we're not really doing it in the sort of the traditional. Well, the point of this conversation is not to do it in the traditional risk attribution um, ex post uh, try and 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 create information about drivers of PL through market things. We're looking at what are the drivers of PL through actions, uh, behaviors, and decisions taken by the portfolio managers. And so we're really starting with this point of view that you have two things that a portfolio manager is doing. So in, in the chain of actions, there is asset selection, then there is portfolio construction, then there is the rest of it, which is sort of execution operations, et cetera, et cetera. We're really looking at these first two things. Um, in this webinar, we're going to sort of bundle portfolio construction into one thing. Uh, although, of course, in, a, in our day-to-day -day work, this is a much more a deep and rich field where we, we look at many other um, subsections of portfolio construction. But uh, saying that, let's let's look at our let's look at our data. So um, here's a return stream, and, and this is, as Stephen said, a real live, uh, real return stream from a real fund. Um, uh, we were working with them back in December, so we have access to all that data. Uh, clearly, we're not going to tell you who they are or what the data is. Um, but this is what the portfolio that they put together uh, on the 19th December, I think, um, uh, how it performed from 19th December, how that portfolio performed from 19th December through to 19th of April this year. So through all the, all the sort of noise of the um, COVID stuff, um, and this is, as Stephen said, again, a relative return, relative to the um, benchmark. Um, now, the real question is, is this good or not? What made it good or not? So we can see that. This, At first sorry, blush, it yeah. looks good, right? It, it, yeah, it does. I mean, it, it does, right? 200 and whatever it is, 30 bips over four months is, is pretty good, right? Um, in an in a index tracking index beating portfolio. Um, I think this, this fund has 90 to something like 90 stocks in it. Um, the benchmark has got a thousand odd stocks um, and it is EM. So you do expect a, a wee bit of volatility, but yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, how good is this? So if you just look at it, on its own, and, and clearly that's the sort of experience that most PMs or LPs will have. It's like, oh, look, I've, this is what we did, aren't we, aren't we great? You're kind of, I think, missing a lot of, the, uh, a lot of the, the depth of this number. So let's think a little bit more about how would we assess how good this is. Um, sorry, there we are. Um, we can take the same 90 stocks and the same constraints, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, and produce another portfolio that looks very similar to the original portfolio. Um, it would pass all the um, the funds, uh, not, not due diligence, but sort of risk testing and, and uh, concentration testing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and you'd get, yeah, it would be it would be valid, it would be considered valid by the fund, by the LPs, uh, by any other um, sort of third party way of looking at the portfolio. And it, it would have the, the red line you see on here, which as you can see over the four months returns nothing, uh, but experiences quite a lot of volatility. Um, you could also get the green line, 
um, again, a, a, an expression of the same asset selection. Uh, and what you're beginning to see here is that the alpha, the, the, the return, the 200 odd basis points clearly is positive and a good experience, but the variability in that experience is quite large. And that variability has nothing to do with the selection of the 90 stocks. The variability has not, I'll say that again, has nothing to do with the selection of the 90 stocks. The same 90 stocks can generate quite wide um, difference in end results, in end experience for the LP, which therefore is all about, you know, how do you retain your money and how do you sell yourself as a portfolio manager? Um, when I talk about the, the same ideas, same constraints, what, what do we say? Well, you know, what are we trying to do? Well, this clearly maximize the expression of, of alpha, um, minimize drawdowns, and then around the fund, we have certain, uh, certain objectives, certain constraints around what it is you're allowed to do, what, how much benchmark tracking you should, tracking error should you introduce, how many stocks, uh, what your, uh, at the very simplest level, what your constraints are on, on variability in, in sector or country, or even a single asset relative to its benchmark weight. Um, so if you take these constraints and you take your 90 stock selection or 90 selected stocks, you can end up with very different portfolios. So here's the three portfolios we showed there, right? the original one, the, the green one and the red one. You can just get a, a feel for what's going on. Right? In, in the original one, you've got the, the uncolored cells and alternatives one and two have got different weights for the different assets. But we know, you know, they all add up to 100 in total. Um, they, uh, they all fit those uh, objectives and constraints. And practically, so, there's very little overlap here, right? If we look at this, there's very few of the positions that they're all roughly similar, right? Because they all fit those constraints. But in, in final cut, none of those positions are really the same portfolio to portfolio. Yeah. And, and what's, what's really important to, to, to get across is how much this impacts the eventual experience of PM talking to, you know, their boss or the LP uh, getting the, um, getting the investor reports. So what is the kind of breadth of experience you could experience, breadth of experience you could experience being an investor or a manager of this fund, having taken the 90 stock selection decisions at the beginning in December? Well, these green lines, each line is a potential candidate and one of the things that we do at Sherpa is look at all possible candidate portfolios that meet objectives and constraints. And that exercise in itself is very interesting because you, you end up with some candidate portfolios, which the PM immediately rejects. So we would never do that because X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, in which case X, Y, and Z is a constraint on your fund. Oh, well, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Right. And the act of, coming up with these candidate portfolios just on its own helps narrow down truly what we're trying to achieve within the fund. Now, these candidate portfolios are all valid from the fund's point of view. Um, and, you know, we, we create 
tens of thousands of these things. This is a sample that I think we've got 50 in here. Is that right, Stephen? Yeah. Um, that shows the, the, the breadth. Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, so when we go back to our original discussion, what did we, how did this PM do? Well, he made 220 bips. It, it was a heat, not generalized. Uh, it made 220 bips, which is pretty good. But that on its own doesn't say anything. That just says what the yellow line is. Um, it's probably better to look at what he did relative to, let's call it the median portfolio. So all possible expressions of that alpha. Uh, what's the median expression of that alpha? And that's the, the, the purple line. Um, you'll see, I don't know if it's on this slide, you'll see that he actually slightly outperformed the purple line. But this gives you some idea of where he, or in this case, he is in, in the world of how they've done. So they've picked good stocks, but they've expressed them in a way that is median. And, and we That's can see there's a really, the shape is the same across all the expressions, right? There, there's a very yeah. clear shape of what the portfolios that could exist from those stock picks look like, but there's still a huge spread on what the potential outcomes are. There's a, there's a huge possible uh, variation, and, and it is of the same order of magnitude as the alpha. This is really key. You, you, you get your expression wrong, you're at zero, you get your expression right, you're a hero. However, of course, getting it perfectly right implies some sort of hindsight, uh, foresight, which is just not existing. But what did you know this particular PM do? Well, like we said, like this is the this is what if he had had perfect foresight with the same asset selection, he could have done this, um, the black line. <clears throat> if he had totally messed up the asset, the, the portfolio construction, he could have gone to basically destroyed all his alpha with his portfolio construction. Um, to me, an important uh, part to mention on those two potential outcomes yeah. is that for both of those outcomes, you'll notice that the absolute best perfect foresight portfolio is only the absolute best portfolio at the specific final end time we're measuring here. And similarly, the absolute worst portfolio is only the worst at one or maybe two points throughout the time that this portfolio is running. So while the, while the worst portfolio was consistently bad and the best portfolio was consistently good, they weren't necessarily the worst or the best throughout the lived experience of the fund. There were periods of time where the worst portfolio was bad, but not too bad, and periods of time where the best portfolio was good, but not that great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, that just illustrates the variation of experience you can have. Um, uh, where do we get to? Uh, Sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Um, uh, so if you, if you take something like this, where we look at the median portfolio, the purple line, and the 10 and 90th percentile possible returns, you get a sort of reasonable idea for where you should be in your end result. Your lived experience, and it, I, I'm not going to make any sort of statistical implications here, but you, you would expect your lived experience as a investor or as a portfolio manager to be somewhere between the red and the black lines. Um, 
you would expect your portfolio manager to have created the asset selection that means there is that genuine uh, positive bias in the experience. The question, and we, we always say, is you'd also want your, your portfolio manager to have created the portfolio that at the very least beats the median, ex, the median experience. Now, again, there's, a, there's an element of kind of hindsight foresight here, but what you're trying to do is create a portfolio which gets you certainly into the 60th to 70th percentile. And I think that's what I think our experience shows us uh, from many years of many portfolios that, that is eminently achievable, but it is not achievable without really thinking about it. Uh, and that's kind of what we want to say. So if we look at what we are trying to say or do or, or help portfolio managers with, it's to say you have your asset selection, which introduces some hopefully upward bias in the experience lived in, but you want the actual experience you have to be somewhere in the, the blue lines here, which is I think 60th to 80th percentile of possible outcomes. Um, certainly you want to be beating the median. I mean, the, the idea that you are at the median is saying to me that your portfolio experience is, or your, your intelligence and, and work is all driven in selecting your assets. And from that point on, you sort of left it to you know, what, what happens. Which, happens. to be fair, I mean, there's a no shortage of research that says that fund managers spend 90% of their time, 85% of their time on the asset selection. And then they spend 5, 10% of the time at most trying to fit those assets into a portfolio. And that's why you see a lot of average portfolios that just sort of, you know, attract the average of what they have in their ideas. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, I mean, it's clearly you, you can't you can't take away from the intelligence and work and understanding of the market that allowed them to select that ninety assets, but the variability of that of the results from that selection can swamp the asset selection the the, the value. The variability can swamp the value. We want to add to that value with a process that helps you be in the let's call it sixtieth to eightieth percentile. Um, so, you know, this particular PM, I think the red line is his actual returns. Um, right. and the, the sort of round about 50, 50th percentile, something round about that. Um, and, and to us, that seems like that's a, a kind of a wasted opportunity. Um, uh, and, and to get, you know, what are we trying to help these guys with? What do we, what do we help these guys with? Um, well, so that's the the actual return versus the median. So he's kind of above the median sometimes. He ends up around about on the median. Um, this is, for us, the important part. The light blue line is the Sherpa expression of alpha. So all done ex ante, you know, out of sample, back in December, we said this is the right way to express your alpha. Now, you can never guarantee that you're not going to happen upon some, you know, outlier line. But this experience of being, what are we here, like around about 200 bips better off annualized is an experience we see time and time and time again. It, it always kind of works out around this number. And it always kind of works out that we take a, uh, a PM whose actual lived experience is the sort of median 
of possible lived experiences given their asset selection. I'll say that again. The actual lived experience is the sort of median of possible experiences for a set of asset selections. And we will take that from the median to the 65th, 70th percentile, something like that. That's sort of the, the, the experience we see from, from clients. And in order to do it, though, you kind of have to start from the point of view of this, of this talk, which is portfolio construction and asset selection have two very different um, uh, purposes within generating an experience. Um, so this annualized extra return, whatever it was, 200 and it says 268 on, on this thing, that's a kind of what you should normally expect if you get to this stage, if you get to the point where you have separated out your asset selection from your portfolio construction, you've correctly uh, enunciated all your objectives and constraints and used a good process to calculate the right expression. Um, and, and to me, I think one important thing that comes out of this sort of graph and that comes out of when we think about that good range um, is that there are a lot of portfolio construction techniques that are designed to try to give you that 95th, 100th percentile outcome. And so if the market unfolds exactly, exactly how their model is, uh, assuming it will, then, you know, they're well positioned to try to give you a portfolio that's good under a very tiny set of circumstances. And what we're saying with this 60th to 80th, with this banding of what makes a good portfolio or what's sort of an achievable range of outcomes is that we want to be good throughout this set of evolutions, regardless of, you know, trying to, we're not trying to shoot for perfect, uh, but with a very fragile portfolio. I think that's, that's a very, uh, probably a topic for the next webinar, but uh, another discussion. Absolutely. If, if you if you have experienced uh, portfolio construction from sort of the Markowitz standards, uh, any other sort of standard way of doing it, what those things are doing is are trying to, to say this is the best portfolio in a very specific circumstance. So shooting for that 95th percentile. We are very much more practical about that. That's a, a, a crazy thing to try and do. Um, you need to shoot for a portfolio that will be in the 65th to 70th percentile pretty much no matter what happens. Uh, I think that's probably it. Um, I think that sort of leads us to the end of what we're Yeah, talking and we have about. some I questions. So I think there's there's some good questions in here. Um, you know, I, I think this this first question, um, and I'll, I'll just kind of start with a brief answer, and Richard, by all means, chime in with it. Uh, was a question about, you know, what would the performance have looked like with a, a more simple reference weighting mechanism? So something like an equally weighted portfolio of this 90 selected stocks. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the thing about an equally weighted methodology is that it's not going to comply with any of those objectives and constraints. The, the bandings around, you know, how much tracking area you have against your benchmark, uh, sector country composition. So for a benchmarked portfolio like this, that comparison would be a little bit apples to oranges, right? Yeah, it's it, what we would say is rather than, I mean, to us, the median of all possible compliant portfolios 
is the equivalent of an equal weighted portfolio in terms of a baseline. Um, uh, and even you know when we when we do this with with uh, with clients, we tend to say, okay, there's a you know a, a risk weighted portfolio like simple risk weighting, an equal weighting, a pure conviction weighting, or a, a Sherpa weighting, um, and they're, they're all designed for slightly different reasons, right? There are people who have very large equal weighted portfolios because it's the easiest thing to explain to the LP community. Yep. With full knowledge that it's not the best way of expressing your alpha, but perhaps it allows you to gather more assets. I mean, that's a, you know, you know th those are the sort of business level drivers of how you do this that we sort of talk about at the meta level before we get into the, the maths. Um, right. And, and I think to that point, you know, usually an equal weighted portfolio is a reference benchmark for a non-benchmarked portfolio. That's one of the first things we look at, right? If, if it's an absolute return portfolio, um, if it's even a, a long only equity, but it's, but it's not benchmarked, um, if it has a much looser set of constraints around it, um, then obviously we, we have a great deal more flexibility to make that comparison. So we didn't make that comparison with this portfolio. Um, you know, we certainly, if you want to look at something like that, it's an easy analysis to run. And so we certainly would be happy to, uh, to follow up on that offline, but it's, it's not something that we ran with this portfolio just for that reason, because in this case, that type of portfolio wouldn't be compliant with the, the constraints. It wouldn't be a valid portfolio for this fund. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mike, there's another second question there in here. What's the time frame this expression is valid for? In this particular case, this was uh, set for six monthly rebalancings. Um, that's again a, a factor, of, a function of the discussion with the PM. You know, what are you trying to achieve? What's the frequency you want to do stuff in? Um, uh, if we uh, the question goes on if you took these 90 stocks on february 1st would we get a different weighting um you would but not a massively different weighting um and you know in in theory you could run the weighting process every you know four hours or whatever um but clearly there's a sort of a, a crossover point where your cost of trading the the, the increased return from being points better in your portfolio construction is massively outweighed by the increased trading cost. Um, so that depends, you know, that, that is part of the discussion and it's like part of how, when we say we want the portfolio to be good for a period of time or to be state good across possible evolutions, we look at how long that is, how long that's stable for. Um, so it's it's part of the yeah it's part of a bigger deeper question actually. yeah and, and i think and that that's actually you know to the to the point earlier you know one of the things that we'll be covering and one of the reasons that we're starting to do this webinar series is that um you know at sherpa we really are focused on the process and this set of analyses you know technically speaking mathematically speaking this is just sort of one part in the process right and the 
front end of the process of defining the objectives and constraints of working with the PM, of understanding what they want, um, in many ways, equally important, if not more so, to getting this part right. And then the back end of the process, which is to say that once we've done this, once we've built this portfolio, defining how often we're going to rerun the analysis and defining the constraints around how much variation they want run to run you know how much turnover they're really willing to have um you know there are some funds that we've worked with that they want that they're comfortable with quite a bit of turnover they're comfortable with it basically being a whole new portfolio every time the analysis is run other funds have very specific turnover constraints and very specific position size change constraints one snapshot to the next and so that process side the the front end and the back end um are how you we work with funds to take this and actually put it into practice actually make it applicable yeah i, th I think there's a there's i am probably talking a bit too much about sherpa but there's a difference between just taking a calculation tool optimizer and getting a number out of it and running a process for portfolio construction which involves data gathering calculation workflow and explanation and if you don't do those four things, if you just do the calculation thing, so if you buy a, a you know a, a whatever multivariate optimizer machine and press the button, you're only doing number three, which is calculation, or number two, which are you have to do the the data bit first. You have to do the calculation. You have to do the workflow, and you have to do the um, explanation. The the um, the reasons why things are good or bad, which this webinar was a, a kind of introduction to one of the ways of looking at that. To the, um, so thanks everyone for joining us. We've scheduled for half an hour. If you do have any additional questions, uh, by all means, our contact information is, is right here on the screen. Um, also, we have sort of a generic company email if you can't remember any of our names or any of the info here or haven't taken a screenshot, uh, info at SherpaFundsTech.com. We're very easy to get in touch with. So we are going to be doing further webinars on this topic. So the topic of you know, how good is your portfolio? How do you measure it? How do you think about that? Uh, practically speaking, you know, it's, it's important to understand what the drivers of your portfolio's performance are so that you can break that down and then analyze what's working and what's not and improve. And whether Sherpa can help you improve or not, we think it's important to think about your portfolio in this manner and to really break down those drivers on the selection side and the construction side and to figure out if you're leaving money on the table or if you're a rock star and you just need to figure, you know, keep doing what you're doing. So we're gonna be having uh, another webinar coming up soon. So watch out for that invitation, should be out here in the next uh, day or two. As I said, for anyone who joined us late, uh, there will be a replay of the session. There will be a video made available. So watch your email, should be coming out the next day or two once we have it formatted and online. Um, I, so Richard, any last uh, words before we sign off here? No, just thank you very much all for, for being here. Great to see people from different time zones. Uh, Stephen in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, me here in Singapore. Thank you very much. Great. Well, Richard, thanks so much for taking the time. Everyone who attended, thanks so much again for joining us today. Uh, we will look forward to you joining us next time. Take care.
Take care, guys.